Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. If you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the largest African-American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. Today, I have my guest, co-host and media consultant, Andrea Carter with me. How are you doing today, Andrea? Fine, John. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. And we also have with us special guest, Melissa Deaver, Program Director of Alzheimer's Association of Greater Cincinnati. How are you doing today? Doing great. How about you? I am doing fantastic. And before we jump into our main topic, let's jump into some of the top news stories of the week. President Joe Biden says he stands behind his decision to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan, and he admitted that the Taliban takeover of the country happened quicker than his administration anticipated. Biden addressed the nation Monday about the chaos ensuing in Afghanistan amid the U.S. troop withdrawal. The Taliban has nearly taken over all of Afghanistan as the U.S. countries continue to withdraw from the Middle Eastern country ahead of the 20th anniversary of the attacks on 9-11. Andrea, what are your thoughts on this news topic? Well, I mean, it, it was surprising how fast Afghanistan fell to the Taliban. And, um, but I admire our president for standing behind what he said, the decision that he made, and the reason why he made that decision. Um, he said they're not standing up. He made a lot of suggestions. They tried to work with, within the deal that President Trump made. And then um, they tried to you know, help them out and say, look, we don't have to do this right away if you do this, this, and this. And they didn't do it. They weren't willing to stand up. And in the meantime, come to find out the Taliban was buying people off left and right. And then come to find out several of the corruption was so high up in the government, even the generals were taking the money. They weren't paying the soldiers. They weren't buying supplies. So when the Afghan soldiers put down their weapons and said, sure, go ahead, take it, they Taliban won which is a shame for the Afghan people who were hoping for something better, looking forward to a better way of life. And instead they fear for their lives and the rule of Taliban who claim that they're different, but their actions speak, show that they're not so different from what they were 20 years ago. So it's gonna be very interesting to see how this all plays out. And I think everyone should read Thomas Friedman's column from a couple of days ago, talking about the, the fall of Afghan and how he, he said, you know, look at the look at the actions the morning after and then the morning after and then the morning after that will play out because when reality takes a hold of the Taliban and they realize that this is a different world than when they had control 20 years ago. Everyone has smartphones. Everyone has um, involved with social media. Everyone's recording now. On top of that, one million women are in the job market or going to school like ever before. And I think also they have to recognize that this time around, they have no one supporting them. They're going to have to go out into the world and attract investment and all that type of stuff. And I don't think anyone wants to work with them, with people who bully by fear and by violence. You know, that's not how you attract investment when you, what you need to build revenue in your country. So I think it's going to be very interesting to watch what happens in the next months, days, and years uh, under the Taliban rule. Moving on to our next topic, top health officials in the federal government recommended Wednesday that all Americans seek out a booster shot eight months after becoming fully vaccinated against COVID-19. The new recommendation applies to those who got mRNA vaccines, including the vaccines manufactured by Pfizer and Moderna. 
booster shots will be offered beginning the week of September 20th to nursing home residents, healthcare workers, seniors, and others who were the first to be vaccinated. Andrea, your thoughts on this news story? It was, we were just talking about this, and um, I, I think it's fantastic. If we need a booster, we need a booster. I, I think everyone's going to recognize this Delta variant is much stronger than the, than the COVID-19 variant. And, you know, with the Delta variant being as strong, we don't know what else is out there that is result, coming out of the result of a Delta variant. So I think we need to do as much as we can to protect ourselves while we continue to live life as normal as much as possible. It may hurt a little bit now, but in the long run, when we get back to life as normal without a mask, we'll be all better for it. So I'm looking forward to the booster. I think the fact that we have a government now that is demanding, well, I shouldn't say demand, but encouraging everyone to take the steps to be healthy and protect themselves, protect their family, protect their community. I think it's refreshing. I think it's wonderful. And I think it's everybody has a choice, but everyone's going to pay a high price for that choice if they don't get the shot. That's true. I mean... I think I got my I think I got my initial shot in February. So when that time's up, I'm definitely going to um, get that shot because, like I said, I you know I have asthma, so I don't want to take any chances at all. Well, I mean, I have so many things going on with me right now. I I need to do as much as I can to protect myself because I have thyroid issues. I got um, pre-diabetic. I got an eye issue. I mean, I got arthritis. I mean, I'm just a mess, but I look good. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but I mean, at the same time, when they announced it, I was pulling out my card and me like, okay, eight months from when, what was my date? So I was like, okay, November. All right, cool. So, you know, I'm going to be looking forward to this. I mean, we have to do what's practical. And sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and take a leap of faith and do what you fear the most. And, and I think a lot of fear is out there, but you got to bite the bullet because in the long run, the more you protect everybody, the better off we will be. Moving on to our next story. Officials in Haiti have raised the death toll from a powerful weekend earthquake to more than 1,900. The Civil Protection Agency announced the numbers on Tuesday when strong winds and rains dealt by Tropical Storm Grace forced a temporary halt in rescue and recovery efforts. The agency raised the death toll to 1,941 and the number of injured to 9,900. Andrea, what are your thoughts on this very tragic story? I think it's horrible. Um, I think it's so sad to hear so many people have lost their lives. Haiti has gone through so much in the last decade for now to, you know, ha now have to recover from um, the storm and losing so many people. I mean, I'm sorry, not the storm, but the, the hurricane, I mean, the earthquake. It's just, it's heart-wrenching to think that they've gone through so much trying to survive and make a way for their families and they have to deal with this how much more do they need to go through until they can find some sense of stability and um, success? I know it's very tragic. It just seems like Haiti like can never catch a break. So I'm just hoping and praying for their safety. I'm, I'm just hoping that they that at least some strong leadership comes out of this and that um, as government aid comes in from around the world, that they take care of those that need the help and re help rebuild 
but maybe rebuild so they have stronger homes and buildings and that they can you know, move forward and find economic success because they have been so hit hard so long that they need, they need a win, basically. Moving on to our next story. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, Communications Director Mark Miner, said that the governor has tested positive for COVID-19. Miner said in the statement that Governor Abbott, who is fully vaccinated, tested positive for the virus on Tuesday. The governor is receiving Regeneron's monoclonal antibody treatment. Miner said the governor is in good health and is not experiencing symptoms. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? You know, having lived in Texas and watched Abbott come to power, and have witnessed firsthand his leadership techniques. I think it's sad that he is willing to sacrifice the, I shouldn't say sacrifice, let me take that back. I think it's sad that he will not do what is needed to protect his constituents, especially since he's vaccinated and he's getting the help that he needs because he's been diagnosed with COVID-19. And he's still willing to not demand everyone put a mask on or demand that at least you know people practice safe 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 protocols so that they don't spread the variant you would think he would choose to protect everybody and not be selfish in his thinking because you know he's safe he's fine he's protected but he's not willing to do enough to protect everybody else so i think it's it's I'm sad that he got got it, but at the same time, I'm furious that this does not prompt him to do something to protect the rest of the state. Yeah, I'm sad that he got it too, and I hope he recovers because, like, I did not know actually that he was in a wheelchair. Like, because I was just reading, I because you know he's not my governor, I don't really pay attention to him that much. But you know, when he was like 26, like a tree fell on him when he was jogging, you know, after a storm and stuff. I said, "Oh, that's a hard life right there." But yeah, he he he's been he's made it. Um, Basically, he's a type of gentleman who um, he doesn't let the wheelchair define him. And that's what I admired about him while I lived in Texas. I didn't like his politics. But, you know, for someone to be that strong minded and to be able to take what his life has handed to him and still fulfill his dreams of being attorney general, then being governor and not being afraid of what that symbol looks like. Because think about it the last time we had a leader who was in a wheelchair was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. We have not seen anyone else in a leadership role like that in a wheelchair. So I think he did a a lot for um, people who are disabled on what they can achieve. But at the same time, for all that achieved what he has achieved, he has also been a disappointment on behalf of his constituents because he's not doing enough to protect them. And I think that's that's the shame of of his governorship. I also just hope that, you know, because he he's getting this the Regeneron treatment, which is like definitely really experimental. Mm-hmm. And I hope he tells his followers, please like get the vaccine because, you know, he's already getting like, you know, experimental treatment and people are freaking out now and say, well, the vaccine isn't FDA approved. So that's why I'm not getting it. I'm just like, it just get the vaccine. It's like, it's okay. All right. It's okay. Doctors experts have gotten it it's like you'll be okay all right so i just i just hope that i just hope this experience humbles them a little bit and maybe he can like tell you know his followers that please just get vaccinated for the sake of the country for the better good right i mean because he's vaccinated this is what kills me he's vaccinated 
but his constituents are not getting vaccinated. I, I'm, I'm like, I don't understand that. And I, I don't understand it when leaders get vaccinated, but they don't encourage other people to get vaccinated. Trump got vaccinated. Yeah. I mean, even though he got COVID first, then he got vaccinated, but he got vaccinated. I was hoping but he was him encouraging anyone else to get vaccinated, but he made sure his family got vaccinated. Yeah. I, I, I don't him. like hypocrisy. I yeah. don't. Yeah. And I, I think that is what I see in a lot of leaders like Abbott, like DeSantis, especially DeSantis. Um, you know, all of these people who quote are working on behalf of America, they're saying that they're American, pro-choice, you know, well, pro-life, pro whatever. Um, that they are patriotic and everything, but they don't do what's needed to protect the constituents and demand from the constituents what they need to do to be safe. It's they're you know they're hypocrites, and you know I think that's sad because in the at the end of the day they take an oath to protect the nation and their state, and when they don't live up to that, is just very very disappointing to me. And I could be naive in that, but I believe if you take an oath in office, you have to live up to that oath. No, I completely agree with that. Moving on to our next topic. Ahead of the Western Southern Open, Naomi Osaka was presented with a question from Paul Dotterty of the Cincinnati Inquirer. He asked her a fairly aggressive tone question about how she benefits from a high media profile, but doesn't like talking to the media, according to tennis reporter Ben Rothenberg. The 23-year-old superstar attempted to address the inquiry, but eventually broke down crying on the podium. She tried to regain her composure by wiping her eyes with her jacket sleeves, pulling her hat down over her eyes, and even engaging some breathing exercises. When none of that did the trick, the WTA moderator paused the media session. Osaka eventually returned to finish the press conference. Naomi Osaka's agent, Stuart uh, Dugan, was livid over the situation that unfolded during the conference. Rothenberg later tweeted, the bully at the Cincinnati Inquirer is the epitome of why player media relations are so fraught right now. Everyone on that Zoom will agree that his tone was all wrong and his sole purpose was to intimidate. Really appalling behavior. And this insinuation that Naomi owes her off-court success to the media is a myth. Don't be so self-indulgent. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? This is the reason why people don't like journalists. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as, 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 as a journalist myself, I mean, it's there are days when people don't like me and there are days when people do like me. But at the end of the day, it's about getting the story, not about you know, being rough and tumble. There are a lot of reporters out there who do what um, the Cincinnati, the Inquirer's reporter did. And it doesn't get them anywhere. All it does is get them a bad reputation. Naomi um, Osaka is, she's sensitive, unfortunately, because of her mental health and because she must have triggers and some other things. She's very, very vulnerable, but she, you know, she was able to do this media press conference. And I just think that um, why was he even there? He doesn't cover tennis. Why was he even sent to the press conference? That's number one. He does, he talks, I know he's a columnist, sports columnist. He talks about different topics and things like that. But um, whatever he was looking for in asking that question, I don't know if it was worth it because I've read other stories about what happened and a lot of them came down on the inquire and um, Paul Daughtery be because of how he asked the tone. 
it's a press conference for a tennis game. You're not looking for nothing salacious is going to come out of it. Obviously, he was hoping to cause something to maybe make her angry or something like that from the way he asked the question. But you know what? You can scan the room. You can scan her demeanor. You can see how she's going to react. And if she wasn't taking tough questions, don't throw them. Because all you're going to do is just you're going to get a lot less than what you were looking for. And unfortunately, he became the story instead of her becoming the story. Everyone is sympathetic to her. Everyone hates him and the Inquirer now. That's not good. Because um, at the end of the day, it's the reputation of the paper that lingers, not the reputation of that reporter. And Naomi is going to keep on going on performing around the world, she just won't take questions as often. And guess who she won't be taking questions from? It will not be the Inquirer. They will be shut out. And people follow what other athletes do. So if the Inquirer's in the room, they may or may not answer any questions from that paper because the reputation has been established with her. He has done more damage than good. And when you're in a changing, ever-changing, evolving news industry where me branding is important, what he did is he hurt the brand. Yes, they will recover because we got the Bengals and the Reds and everything else. But at the end of the day, that was an international press conference. People won't be willing to work with him because, oh, he's a bully. You don't hurt the reputation that, that, pays your, that, um, that, that gives you your paycheck. You just don't do it. Do your job, but do it effectively. Don't do damage. Definitely. But if I can play devil's advocate for here for a second, I know Naomi, I, I love Naomi Osaka. I love her to death. But I have to say, she needs to toughen up just a little bit. I mean, I realize that she's in a very high pressure, you know, sport and everything, and she has to deliver. But, you know, she's going to get hard questions sometimes, and you can't break down all the time. So she, you know, I guess she just needs to manage her mental health better or see a sports psychologist or something like that. But because like I said, I'm not against Naomi Osaka. And I think the guy from Cincinnati Inquirer, he was totally out of line. But this is just more of like a tough love thing. I think she needs to toughen up just a little bit to answer, yeah. you know, the hard questions though. Well, but I mean, I mean, she's been through a lot. She's been booed and everything else when she beat Serena. And yeah. she didn't beat Serena just once. She beat her twice. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, she she has a lot to endure and she has a lot to go through and she she does need to toughen up. But I think also she might have been protected growing up. Yeah. Um, you know, people who have had a, you know, not as hard upbringing as others. You know, if you think about it, I don't know what her upbringing was compared to the Williams sisters who grew up in Oakland, California. Mm -hmm. That's a tough neighborhood. Yeah, they're tough for a reason. I don't know where she grew up, but, you know, I'm sure she's tough to, to be able to do what she does on a daily basis that, you know, to have a tough mind to play tennis. Yes, she's tough, but emotionally, she's got to build up that strength. She's got to, you know, she's got to build it up a little bit more and be stronger than that. And, you know, maybe she's always been a little vulnerable when it comes to her emotions. And um, you're right. She does have to toughen up, but at the same time, she doesn't have to take, you know, tough questions like that if yeah. it's unwarranted. Yeah, no, of course. If the questions are rude like that, then she should totally, like, decline to answer that. Definitely. But like I said, I hope Naomi does well in the Western Southern Open, though. 
All right. So those are the top news stories of the week. And now I will hand it off to Andrea Carter. So go ahead, Andrea. We have today, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Melissa Deaver, and I am the program director for the Alzheimer's Association with the Greater Cincinnati Chapter. And I, I, know, I know we started out earlier talking about different a variety of things regarding the Alzheimer's Association. Why don't you give everyone a brief overview of what the Cincinnati Chapter does every day? Sure. So uh, one of the things I, I want to stress is that all of the programs and services we offer are absolutely free. Um, and also that we work with folks with any type of dementia, not just Alzheimer's. So it can be uh, dementia from Parkinson's, it can be a vascular dementia, or maybe you don't know, maybe you just know that there's something going on. Um, so we provide, um, we have a 24 hour helpline that people can call at any time of day to get information, referral, um, get questions answered. We provide family care consultations, which it's basically a big care planning session where a nurse or social worker will sit down with your family and help you understand the disease, what's gonna come next, how do you prepare for that, what's out in the community to help you care for that person now and in the future. Uh, we also have family support groups that we hold virtually and in person. And then we also have education programs virtually and in person. You were talking earlier about um, the sandwich generation, about, I would say, the young person or a middle-aged, I shouldn't say middle-aged, but, you know, maybe late 30s, early 40s, or however, how old the yep. family member is, who's caring for their children and husband and spouse and things like that. And then they're also caring for an elderly, a parent who has um, dementia or Alzheimer's. What can we do or say how we can help that caregiver function? in that sandwich life, so to speak. Right. Um, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, one way is, is to really talk to employers and help them understand that this is happening more and more because, you know, years ago, people had their children young. So by the time they were 40 or older and thinking about having to care for their parents, their children were adults. So they weren't sandwiched so much. But as a society, people are having children when they're older. So now they may be in their 40s, but they still have a child in elementary school. So they're still taking care of that child. They're still working. But now they're also trying to take care of, of mom or dad with dementia. And so I, I think employers maybe need to start developing some policies to help those caregivers, to help educate those caregivers and put them in contact with the Alzheimer's Association. So we can put resources out there to prevent them from having to quit work um, and things like that that often happen in that sandwich generation. Also, I mean, I would say it's like, it, it's Alzheimer's is it seems like more and more we're hearing about dementia and Alzheimer's. Is it that more people are being diagnosed or is that we're paying attention more to the disease because it's affecting more people? Yeah, I, I think it's a little of both. Um, you know, we, the Alzheimer's Association has been working hard for a long time mm -hmm. um, to, to really push the medical community to diagnose people and to just even do an assessment just to make that part of like a yearly physical once you're age 65 and older. Um, so I think that's, you know, that is part of it. It's, it's being more recognized. And then um, I think the other issue too, is that 
you know, you have a higher risk of developing the disease, the older you are with age. So age is a risk factor and we are an aging society. Um, you know, by um, I think uh, 2050, about 12.7 million people are going to be age 65 and older. I mean, that's, that's a lot of people. So we, we have an older society. And so I think we're seeing, you know, folks living longer and thus developing the disease. I would say, I know the baby boom generation is such a vast, I know I'm in the tail end of it, but you're seeing a lot of more of baby boomers getting this disease because a lot of them, you know, well, I guess a lot of people are not exercising. Is it because they're not exercising their brain or is it because of a disease or is it, I mean, what can we do to prevent or at least hold off the impact if we are diagnosed with this? What can we do to help our brain and function our memories and things like that? Right. And, and you just mentioned one of the, the number one things we recommend is exercising. And it's not that you have to be uh, you know, some kind of a huge athlete out here being crazy with your exercise, but just doing something that gets the blood flowing and oxygen flowing in your brain because it has been proven. You know, if you don't have adequate blood supply and oxygen flow to the brain, it damages the brain. So naturally exercise, you know, increases that. And, and then also, you know, as a society, we, we eat very unhealthy foods. You know, we're always going through fast foods. Let me pop it in the microwave. Let me go to McDonald's, Burger King, whatever you name it. And, um, you know, that's not good for your heart. It's not good for diabetes. Um, so both heart issues and diabetes put you at risk for developing dementia. And so I, I think that we live in such a way that, you know, kind of promotes those diseases, thus promoting, you know, dementia. What about when I say, when, we, when I mentioned exercising, I know physically we need to be exercising, but what about the brain itself? I don't think people recognize that we have to do something to keep our brain going all the time. I mentioned to you earlier how my mom learned how to play bridge and that seemed to help her memory improve vastly, you know, but what types of mental exercises do you recommend that we can do to help keep our brains functioning and our memories going? Right, exactly. Just like you recommended, you know, learning to play a new game, learning a new skill, maybe learning to play an instrument that you've always wanted to learn. And so you decide you're going to learn to play piano. Maybe you might want to take a class. Maybe you've always wanted to learn sign language. So you decide to enroll in a program and, and learn uh, sign language. Maybe it is just crossword puzzles, but anything that stimulates the mind, um, is definitely good for the brain and, and research shows that it can reduce your risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. So people who don't like to read or don't just like to sit and watch TV, they have a greater chance of developing something of where it's gonna affect their memory compared to those who maybe do watch TV like movies, but at the same time like to read or play a game or learn a new skill or something like that. Yes. Um, Because, I mean, there's a lot of young people who don't like to read. Um, I mean, they like to skim and keep on going and that's it. But they like to play video games. I mean, is video games playing that stimulating the brain or that's just a simple simulation where we need something where it's much more deeper entrenched stimulation for our brain? Yeah, I, I think we need the, the, the deeper stimulation because, you know, with video games, you think about it after a period of time, it just becomes 
uh, very automatic. You know, you know what buttons to push and when this guy's going to come out, you're going to do this. And um, whereas when you're actually doing something that you actually have to think um, and, and really think to accomplish that task, um, that's much better for your brain. Okay. 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 So um, do you have anything coming up where we, if people want more information, can we go and um, talk to a representative or see you any place, uh, any yes. event that's coming up? Yes. So we actually have an education program coming up on August the 30th. Um, and it will be at uh, six o'clock in the evening. And it's actually for uh, targeted towards the sandwich generation. Um, so, you know, we're targeting the age 35 to, you know, 59, somewhere in there. And so we're going to talk about the 10 warning signs just so that people know what do I look for? When, when could there be a problem or what's normal aging? Um, and then also talk about if you find yourself in that situation, what kind of care plan should you put in place? What do you need to think about so that you can make it? You can make it through this and be able to maintain employment and be able to maintain your sanity for that matter and, and to be healthy emotionally. You know, so those are the kinds of things that we're going to talk about in that program. And so if uh, folks want to register, it's, it's going to be on Zoom. So the number is 800-272-3900 or they can also go online and register, and that is alz.org backslash CRF. All right. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate this. It's been a great conversation, and I, I know I will be doing more to stimulate my brain to, to keep going and, and functioning. So Yes. Thank you for having me on. It's great. Glad to be on. Thank you for coming, John. Thank you, Melissa, for coming on today. Uh, thank you for being our special guest. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. It was my pleasure. Thank you for coming on, Andrea, and talking about all the top news topics of the week. It was my pleasure, John. And make sure to check out the stories we talked about today on our website at www.thecincinnatiherald.com. You can also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, Joseph F. Bookseller, and at select service stations. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast uh, on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and TuneIn Radio. Just search for the Cincinnati Herald podcast. Follow us on Cincinnati Herald on Facebook. Follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter and Instagram. And follow us on YouTube. Just search for the Herald TV. I'm John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. And have a good day. Mm -hmm.